Hello everyone and welcome to this Archives of Season Childhood Fetal and Neonatal Edition podcast. Uh, today we're talking about uh, a paper that's published in the May edition of the journal entitled Thin for Gestational Age Infants Are at Risk uh, of Neurodevelopmental Delay at Two Years. And with me are two of the authors who I will get to introduce themselves uh, in turn. If we start with you, Louise. Um, hi, I'm Louise Kenny. I'm um, an obstetrician uh, with an interest in placental insufficiency. Um, I'm also the PI of the SCOPE study um, and the director of the Infant Centre here in Cork. Um, so I'm um, Georgia Murray, I'm a paediatrician um, and my uh, research interest is perinatal brain injury and assessment of um, developmental outcome and I'm a PI in the Infant Centre um, and a paediatrician here in um, the Department of Paediatrics in um, Cork University Hospital. Fantastic and, and thank you both very much for, for joining us on the podcast from uh, Tropical Cork. Louise uh, first, um, could you give us, a, this is a, a really interesting study in terms of it really starts to explore what's what, what are the consequences of in utero uh, life for, for infants who are particularly vulnerable and have fetal growth restriction. Um, could you just describe just some of the background to, to the study, um, sort of the population that you've drawn from, and maybe just explain some of the abbreviations that are used in the paper so that we can, can keep up later on when the discussion gets more fast and furious? We, um, uh, 10 years ago now, started, uh, we joined an international study called SCOPE, uh, which stands for the Screening uh, for Pregnancy Endpoint Study. This was a, a multinational um, cohort study um, of low-risk first-time mothers, and we recruited over 5,000 women in four countries, including New Zealand, Australia, the UK, and Ireland. Um, and we longitudinally followed them in pregnancy by banking them at, at several time points and then tracking out their pregnancy outcomes. And the main reason, the main uh, driver behind that study was to actually develop screening tests for late pregnancy complications, because as most uh, listeners will know, we currently don't have any early pregnancy effective screening tests for the three big complications of late pregnancy, um, specifically preeclampsia, fetal growth restriction and preterm birth. So that was the rationale behind that study. Um, but sh very shortly after the, the study launched here in Cork, um, Deidre and I met for the first time and we realised that there was a, a fantastic opportunity to use this really very rich, phenotypically rich um, cohort to establish a longitudinal birth cohort. Um, there are very few good quality birth cohorts internationally that actually start in pregnancy, especially early in the first trimester, which is what the SCOPE study did. And in fact, at the time, we didn't have any birth cohorts at all in Ireland. So we met um, back in 2008 and very quickly Deirdre applied for a series of grants to support the um, longitudinal follow-up of the babies born in the Irish part of the cohort. And that was successful and that became the baseline study. And I'll let Deirdre explain a bit more about the baseline study shortly. Um, but the first baby was born in March 2008. And overall, we had over 1,500 mother-father-baby triads that were very, very well phenotypically described, both in pregnancy and then and then afterwards. So, so that's the background. That's the actual study population. Because we were interested in developing screening tests for late pregnancy outcomes in low-risk mothers, the cohort itself is a low-risk cohort. So these are all first-time mothers without significant medical um, complications, and, and that's an important feature of the cohort. Um, the 
terminology that we've used, um, we were interested in fetal growth restriction as an endpoint. But again, as most listeners will know, um, as obstetricians, we don't really have a, unifi a unifying and universally agreed definition of fetal growth restriction. It's a concept rather than a, a definition. So we've used the surrogate endpoint of small for gestational age. So SGA is small for gestational age. And in this um, study uh, and in most international um, studies, SGA is universally agreed to be babies born less than the 10th centile, whether that's a population centile or a customized centile, but they're babies that are in the, the bottom 10th centile, as opposed to appropriate for gestational age, and they're babies that are uh, born um, more than the 10th centile. Okay, that's that's uh, fantastic and a very comprehensive um, sort of start to, to talking about the, uh, the study. Uh, Deirdre, could you just run us through, uh, so then the methodology, sort of how did you decide that these babies were thin for gestational age? What sort of measurements did, did you take? And um, how did you sort of work on like, the assessment? And then did you do a particular attention in the paper to sample size calculations? So could you just run us through sort of what was the thinking behind some of those decisions? Yeah. So um, in the, the baseline birth cohort, so once the babies were born from the scope mothers, the pregnancy cohort, they became part of the baseline birth cohort. We recruited them at um, 20 weeks gestation and asked the mums would they like their um, children to uh, remain in the baseline birth cohort. So at birth, we measured, they, we did very, um, I suppose, um, well-defined anthropometric measurements of um, weight and length. Um, and uh, but we also did um, a body fat measurement using air displacement plethysmography um, with the, a peapod. peapod. Um, so that allowed us to get a good measurement of it's a two compartment model. So it divides the baby into fat or non-fat. Um, and so we were able to get a good estimation of their body fat. And so for the we've previously published um, reference ranges at that age. We took the, only the babies that had been measured between day one and day four of life because after day four, then they begin to lose a lot of um, body water and it can change the estimation of the body fat. So we um, measured their body fat at day, usually day two, but between day one and four. And then to the definition of thin for gestational age was less than the 10th centile. Um, we only included term infants in the study. Um, and we wanted to see whether looking at body fat would be a better measurement of actual growth restriction compared to birth weight alone. So we have three groups in the study. We have small for gestational age, thin for gestational age, and then appropriate for gestational age. Um, and then there is a lot of overlap actually between the small for gestational age and thin for gestational age babies. And so they form another smaller group which we looked at in our post-hoc analysis, which is the STGA, or small and thin, for gestational age. Fantastic, yeah, and I think that reinforces the groups again. Um, so, question to, to both of you. So, the, the, the main results of the study, I guess I find quite surprising. Would you just run us through uh, what you feel the sort of the main sort of highlight um, for, for the study was? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the... Um, the most important thing for me was that um, we didn't see any significant difference in their um, neurodevelopmental scores, and that was measured using the Bailey scales at two years of age in the small for gestational age group. 
there was um, differences in the thin for gestational age group, but the most dramatic differences really were in the small and thin for gestational age. So in thin for gestational age, they had reduced cognitive scores, um, they had reduced motor scores, um, and they had uh, a trend to an increased rate of overall developmental delay, which is we defined as less than 85 on the Bailey scales. Um, and in this, the small and thin for gestational age, they had um, across the, the three domains of the Bailey scales, motor, um, language, um, and cognitive, they were they had decreased scores and their odds ratio of um, a developmental delay at two was um, five. So quite significant. So really by identifying babies who are small and then by measuring their body fat to see if they're small and thin, we can really pick out the ones that are at greatest, greatest risk of difficulties later on. Uh, absolutely. Um, and I, I did notice that in the in the especially in the thin for gestational age, you had a sort of lower preponderance of boys. Do you think that had an, an impact on on the findings? Um, I mean, if if anything, we we know that the girls normally do a little bit better on their Bailey scales at two, particularly for language. So having yeah, more yeah. girls in the thin for gestational age, there may actually be an even greater difference if we had a um, a gender balance. And um, in terms of how the, the, the clinician then deals with these babies, is this something that we, our obstetric colleagues need to be focusing on in terms of fetal growth restriction and identifying it, or something our neonatal colleagues need to be the, be picking up on when the, the baby is born, and how best to measure that if, if you don't have a peepod machine in, in your unit? And, and is there anything that we can do about it, and is there data Bust enough, do you feel, that this this is now a, a subgroup of a population that we should be focusing on in terms of their neurodevelopmental risk and outcome? So the identification of these babies is a fundamental problem um, in modern obstetrics. We are notoriously bad at picking them up. Um, and lots of studies have looked at methods for improving our pickup rate. For example, the use of customized growth charts for um, Simpson's fundal height measurement. There's a lot of interest at the moment in whether routine third trimester uh, biometry using ultrasound could actually detect these babies. Um, there's no RCT um, that actually has, has proven has proven that is possible or feasible, but there is a lot of interest in, in looking at that at the moment. Um, it's, it's a fundamental problem for us because regardless of their long-term poor outcomes, and this paper suggests that their, their long-term outcomes are far far more profound, uh, profoundly affected than we previously realised, these babies are also vastly overrepresented in stillbirth rates. They have um, a range of, of short-term risks as well, including uh, neonatal intensive care admission, increased chances of um all the sequelae that go with that, placental abruption, there's a, there's a host of things that can happen and our pickup rate is really poor. We probably pick up um, antenatally only about 20 to 30% of babies that we suspect, you know, that, that are actually ultimately SGA uh, and we don't have a, a, a way of improving that at the current time. Um, as, a, as a group of researchers, Deirdre and I um, actually were just talking before this podcast started about where to go next with our data sets and we're very keen to explore the very phenotypically rich data we have in pregnancy to see if there's any signal that we can pick out of the maternal data from any of the biomarkers we've measured or any of the ultrasound measurements we have that will pick up and that will actually improve our detection rate but at the current time it's a it's a fundamental problem in obstetric practice. Um, 
I suppose from the, the neonatologist or the pediatrician's point of view, I think the data is um, important as well because often the, these babies who are grow, um, growth restricted aren't picked up um, antenatally, as, as Louise was saying. I think this will add a little bit of extra information so that if the baby's small, but they're you know normally formed, they're a nice chubby little baby, but they're less than 2.5 kilos, um, we can be more reassured. Um, whereas if they're thin, even if they're above 2.5 kilos, if they're three kilos, but they should have been 3.5, um, we may consider that they might um, require some extra follow-up. And I think going forward, I think an, a nice study that we should do next is to try and screen babies at birth, looking at their, their birth weight, first of all, and then if they're of a low birth weight to assess their, do a kind of a targeted peapod measurement, and then enroll those babies in early intervention or early assessment, I suppose, serial mm. assessment and early intervention. For people who are, who are following it using the paper on, on page F199 at the, at the bottom uh, paragraph, um, infants remaining in the study and yeah. who were assessed developmentally were more likely to be born to older women who were married, mm. who didn't smoke and who had a higher SE index. Do you think there's a, a, pop, a subpopulation where you've missed or the results are perhaps better? than expected or how, how would you comment yeah, on that? We know um, that maternal education is a, um, a, a really important factor for children's development um, and so the babies who were brought back by their mothers as we would expect and this this is a thing when you're when you're doing observational studies long, longitudinal studies the people who are more likely to stay in the study are the ones that are more health aware more educated um, and so the ones that were brought back, the, the children who weren't brought back, um, maybe the, we, there may be even higher rates of developmental delay in those groups. The, the differences between the groups may have even been greater if we had been able to assess all of the children. Yeah. Well, well, thank you both very much. I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic study. And it's like you say, it's something to be, um, the, the, the cohort is something to be very proud of. And it's, it's um, hopefully um, uh, provide some uh, sort of rich understanding of, of fetal restriction and, and then what these babies do uh, as they grow up. And um, yeah, I certainly enjoyed reading it. I know that I'm sure the people who are listening to the podcast will enjoy reading it and listening to it as well. Um, and if you want to interact with um, Louise or, or Deirdre, um, you can uh, uh, contact them via um, the, the paper, uh, Deirdre's email address is on there as well as through Twitter as we always recommend. Um, the, the study comes out of the Infant Centre in, in Cork and their Twitter handle is at Infant Centre. Um, the lead author on the paper is Sinead O'Neill and her Twitter handle is Sinead D O'Neill at No Spaces and again you can uh, interact with the, the journal at ADC underscore FN or if you want to contact me it's at Jonathan uh, underscore Davis 3 and I thank everybody uh, for listening and thank the authors once again for joining us on the podcast. <laughs>